Tomorrow is February 29th, a date that only shows up once every four years. It's a leap year. In the Jewish calendar, we're in the month of Adar, Adar 1, which is the first of two months named Adar because it's also a leap year for Judaism, but they include a leap month, not a leap day. The result of these calendar corrections, these leap year things, is that the holy days of Passover and Holy Week, uh, which uh, occurred in history during the same month, uh, I mean the same week, uh, will be observed in at least three different times over the next two months. So my message today is called, It's About Time. (laughs) Uh, Many of you recall a number of years ago when this same thing happened that we thought that it would be easy and useful to observe all of the holy days of all of the calendars on all of the days. And we ran ourselves pretty ragged. Uh, it, was, it was problematic, to say the least. Now, part of that is the uh, struggle of being a multi-denominational approach to the faith. Uh, we want our children and, and we want ourselves to understand Uh, these variations, but probably we shouldn't try to practice all of them at once. (laughs) That's that's a little problematic. I'd like you to turn with me to Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 14. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, God says, or Moses says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days, and for years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heaven, to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens, to give light on the earth, and to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning. A fourth day. Now, this passage makes it really clear that the purpose of the stars and the moon and the sun is to provide for us a sense of time and seasons and day and night and calendars. And all ancient peoples used the sun and the moon and the stars to establish their um, their calendars. Uh, I want you to uh, keep that in mind as we look at the next passage, which is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I'll try not to say turn, turn, turn. Uh, It says, there's an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to gather stones, a time uh, to throw stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to shun embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up is lost, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent 
and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there to the workers from that in which he tolls? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. God has given us time and he's given us a sense of time for the purpose of us ordering our lives according to his priorities. Then one last passage, uh, Leviticus chapter 23. And we'll just look at the first four verses, but the entire chapter would be apropos. The Lord spoke again to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is the Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. We have in these three passages a focus on the issue of time and the issue of timing from which all cultures have created their, um, their, their sense of time and seasons. Uh, time has always been a fascinating notion for me. I've always been fascinated by little egg timers and uh, sundials and watches and uh, uh, all of those kinds of things. Um, the making and maintaining of time and calendars has a rich and desperate history in all cultures, particularly in ours. Because Western culture has a history of trying to act and base time on religion. For Judaism, the focus is on the Sabbath and the holy days. And that calendar that they keep, that is the one in current use, um, is based on uh, maintaining those holy days in order. For Christianity, the focus has been on the timing of Resurrection Sunday. When is that event supposed to be uh, the focus? And most of Western history related to calendars has been about the calculation of Resurrection Sunday or Easter. There are some fascinating books um, on this subject and the impact that it's had in terms of dethroning people and causing power problems and corruption. And It's just amazing this one little calculation of when do we celebrate the resurrection that is a problem. Now, the reason for that is there is a problem with time. The problem is not there's not enough of it, though many of us think that that's the issue. There are actually several problems with the calculation of time. I want to talk about those before we look at, uh, at calendars. The first one is the issue of precision. Uh, time is based on the creation and the rotation and orbits of the earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And this is not exactly timed in ways that can be divided in equal spaces. It's not fully synchronized because the creation itself is in some sense not operating exactly uh, at the speed that it always was. Uh, and in some senses, 
uh, some aspects of the universe, uh, the notion of speed is, is relative in that, in that sense. Uh, so, what calendars have always had to do is create corrections. And those corrections tend to be leap days or leap months or with atomic time, they actually do leap seconds or parts, parts of seconds, trying to get the clock back linked in. Uh, one of the calendars that does not do this is the Muslim calendar, and as a result, uh, certain holidays, like the month of Ramadan, when the fasting goes, actually works its way backwards. So it might happen in December, and then it might happen in November, and it might happen in October. It, it doesn't, doesn't line up. Imagine if that was true of Christmas or Easter, where they could be at any time of the season of the year, because there's not a correction in, in, in the calendar. So the purpose of, of uh, precision uh, is a problem, and that's why we have leap days and leap months. Now, we have other things that are artificial, like time change, that I don't want to spend much time on uh, because you know I hate it. Uh, there, I heard that this week that there was a uh, attempt again in California to just have a regular uh, time, um, uh, and I made the sad mistake of reading the article and then looking at the comments, and the comments are things like, I like having extra daylight, which is a singularly stupid statement with regard to daylight savings time, because you have more light in the summer anyway, and you're not getting any more light, you're just calling it at a different time. So that kind of stuff drives me crazy, and reminds me that those kind of people are driving in the lane next to me, and I don't want to talk about it, so I'll let it go with that. Uh, but generally, when we correct time, we correct it so that things stay in a normal pattern. The second thing is the issue of days and dates. I was born on June 14, 1950. That was a Wednesday. It was the second Wednesday of the month of June, the 165th day of the year. Now, it is the custom in America to celebrate American birthdays based on the date rather than the day. If I celebrated my birthday on the second Wednesday of the month, then this year I would celebrate it on June 8th. If I celebrated it on the 165th day of the year, I would celebrate it on June 13th because tomorrow we have an extra day in the calendar, which isn't really an extra day. I, we just pretend it's all changed. Uh, so, when do you celebrate the birthday? Now, we all do this stuff, but the custom usually sets whether you use the date or the day. This is really important with holy days because for the church making sure that the resurrection takes place on a first day of the week locks in the day rather than the date. But for Judaism, Passover is based on a date, not a day, and therefore it can land, like our birthdays, on any day of the week, with some exceptions. 
The third problem of time is the issue of when does the day start. For Israel and the Bible, days begin at sundown, which means that tonight at sundown, it will technically, in biblical or Jewish time, be the second day, it will be Monday. Uh, but we don't, we don't generally think that way, uh, because uh, we use midnight for our time when the day changes, and we use uh, and the Romans used sunrise as the time. Now, I believe that God set the, sun, the day to begin at sundown for a good reason. Everybody, for the most part, is aware of when sundown takes place. Midnight is not a conscious thing for many people. And sunrise is not a conscious thing for many of us. Right? Uh, and that's part of uh, this issue. So, the problem of setting holy days is difficult on its own because we have these complications. Now, in addition, there are adjustments that are made. In some sense, you could make the argument that daylight savings time is an adjustment in the calendar for a purpose. There are adjustments that have been made but for holy days and for days to be counted, uh, we have moved many of the national holidays uh, to Monday to allow for three-day weekends. And so President's Day becomes a, a Monday. Martin Luther King Day is celebrated on a Monday. And we do that with a number of things. The day doesn't matter anymore. We're just going to move to the closest Monday because that gives us three days off. So that's a practical uh, application. The Pharisees actually adjusted their calendar, and the Jewish calendar continues with that tradition, to make sure that Yom Kippur would not happen on a Friday or a Sunday. And the reason for that is you would have two Sabbaths back-to-back -back with no work and no cooking. And, and to make that not a problem, they tweak the calendar so that Yom Kippur can't fall, certain other holidays can't fall on uh, the day before or the day after the Sabbath. Now, the Essene community, as we've learned, or the Qumran community, uh, where the Dead Sea Scrolls are there, really took issue with the Pharisees over that. They believed that they were violating the Torah by changing when Yom Kippur was from the date of the month to a certain day that would, would not allow for it to be on Friday or on Sunday. In other words, what we find is that at the time of Jesus, there were at least three calendars operating to struggle with the holy days. There was the Pharisaic calendar. The Pharisaic calendar was focused on the Sabbath and not having the other holidays interfere with the Shabbat. There was the priestly or the uh, uh, Sadducean calendar that was the calendar generally operated uh, for the temple. And they counted first fruits. Uh, to Shavuot differently than the Pharisees. They believed that the uh, first fruits 
always took place on a Saturday night. And therefore, Shavuot always took place on a Sunday. But for the Pharisees, you count immediately after the Passover on the 16th of the month, 50 days, and Shavuot can be on any day of the week, as it is in the Jewish calendar today. Then the Essenes had a, probably the most strict calendar uh, of the groups, and they therefore believed that the Pharisees and the Sadducees that at the temple were in violation of the biblical commands related to the holy days, uh, and were upset in one of their writings because the priest uh, from the temple came down and uh, uh, jumped them or bothered them on the true day of Yom Kippur, which would be a violation of that process. So it's important to understand that even at the time of Jesus, there were multiple uh, calendars in the religious communities. Now, today there are multiple calendars among Jews. Days are treated differently in the land versus in diaspora. Among Christians, we have the Western Church's calendar, the Eastern Church's calendar. There are some other churches that have their own calendars as well. Uh, and then, of course, the Muslims have, have their own separate calendar. And these can be a point of argument, who's right and who's a heretic, or they can be seen as honest attempts to follow God. I believe that's the biblical approach that we should take. Uh, and my argument for that is found in Romans chapter 14. I'd like you to turn there with me. In Romans 14, <clears throat> not specifically talking about uh, this, but talking in general terms about food and sacrificed uh, to idols and uh, other types of things related to days, uh, Paul says these words. Uh, each person, verse 5, each person, uh, one person regards uh, one day above another, another regards every day. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Because he who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. And he who doesn't eat, for, for the Lord he doesn't eat, and he gives thanks to God. Now, whether we're talking about kosher issues, or whether we're talking about day observance, Paul's point here is that the person who is doing it is struggling with what they understand to be the biblical requirement. And that when they are observing what they understand to be the biblical requirement, they are doing it unto the Lord. And in some sense, what Paul is saying is, the Lord accepts them. Now, be careful. Paul is not saying that this guy does it because it's convenient for him. He does it because it doesn't take away, it doesn't, it's not difficult for him. He's arguing that this is done because the person honestly believes that this is the proper way to obey God in this context. 
We live in a culture where people say, well, it doesn't matter, so I can do what I want. That is not the attitude that Paul is talking about here. He is not suggesting that you make up your own mind and do what you want. What he's saying is, you become fully convinced that what you're doing is direct obedience of God based on your understanding of the biblical text because you are then doing it under the Lord. You understand that difference? That's a critical difference. Um, American Christianity really is a religion of convenience. I decide what I think is okay and then I find a verse that matches it. Instead of I study the scriptures to see what is to be done, I become convinced that this is the way and I do it. And if later I become convinced that what I've done is not correct and it's this way, I move to that because I am doing it under the Lord and I am in obedience to the Lord. That's really an important notion here. And that's one of the reasons why Paul tells us not to judge each other in that context. As you continue in the verse, he says... Uh, the one who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who eats, eats to the Lord. The one He gives thanks to God. He who eats not to the Lord, he does not eat. And he gives thanks. For none of us live for himself. And no one dies for himself. This is not about what do you want. This is about understanding what the Lord wants. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. To this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. So, our goal in struggling with biblical holy days is not to be right and condemn everybody else but to be fully convinced that what we're doing is as close to the best understanding we have without being judgmental to others and to address and accommodate that when they are doing it, though they come to a different conclusion, they are uh, standing to the Lord, knowing that ultimately we're not given an account for each other. We're given an account for ourselves to God. So... With that in mind, I'd like you to take a look at the uh, calendar that uh, we had, uh, particularly the part that's got Holy Week uh, and then the period called Weeks. Um, if you look at that, in the Western Church, Ash Wednesday, uh, you know Ash Wednesday begins the Lenten period, and the Lenten period is a period that... Um, uh, prepares for Holy Week, uh, 40 days approximately in that context. In the Western Church, it begins with Ash Wednesday. This year, Ash Wednesday was February 10th. Okay. The Eastern Church counts the days slightly different and starts following a different calendar. 
because the Eastern Church calendar is tied directly to the Jewish calendar, whereas the Western Church is specifically an alternative to the Jewish calendar. So in that context, because there is a leap month this year, uh, Passover is a month later, and therefore Clean Monday begins on March 14th. Now, we have traditionally followed the Eastern calendar uh, in these leap years, uh, which would mean that we are not in Lent at the present time. We will enter into Lent on March 14th. Now, that doesn't mean that some of you might not have entered into Lent, and that's okay. Lent them be. Okay? Uh, the issue is, what is the congregation doing versus what is my particular home doing, right? So, what that means then is that we would begin the observance of that probably with our uh, 13th service, the service on March 13th, where the imposition of ashes would go and we would begin that process congregationally for those who want to participate in that. Now, in the Western Church, Palm Sunday is March 20th. And Good Friday is March 25th. And Resurrection Sunday is March 27th. Which places uh, a little bit of a burden on the struggle between the relationship of Passover and Holy Week. Because Passover won't take place for an extra week. Okay? I mean an extra month. So... Um, in the Western Church, all of this takes place in March, and many of the schools and many of the sales that are related to Easter are all going to be tied to that to that calendar. But for the Eastern Church, Palm Sunday is April 24th, because in the Eastern Church, resurrection can never be celebrated prior to Passover. And since Passover is the, uh, the 22nd uh, and 23rd, Palm Sunday for the Eastern Church is, is the 24th of April. And that was when we had scheduled for that. Which would put our Tuesday night Last Supper Seders on April 26th, and our darkness service on Wednesday, April 27th. Uh, and then the Eastern Good Friday would be the 29th, the Holy Saturday would be the 30th, and the First Fruit service would also be the 30th, and then Resurrection Sunday would be May 1st. You can see it's a month different. When no schools are out and no sales are going. Well, May Day sales will be going on. Now, all of this then throws off the counting of the Omer and the counting of the Sabbaths so that Pentecost in the West is May 15th, Pentecost in the East is June 12th, Shavuot is also the 12th and 13th, and it just pushes all of that off. What I didn't put in here was Ascension Thursday, which would also be a month separate in those. So... What am I bringing up? I want to give you the principle of what we as a congregation have done 
But we need to talk about this because, and that's why I want to have the discussion, because with the children at the age that they're at, we have some issues that have been affecting us at our holy days. So, first let me say this. The standard for our congregation has been to generally put Holy Week during the week of Passover and therefore link ourselves more closely to the Eastern Church with regard to uh, resurrection than the Western Church. Though we have often done Lent using the Western Church Ash Wednesday because uh, we had Wednesday services rather than Monday services. Okay, So with that in mind, let me uh, give you that. For the, we follow the Jewish calendar for Sabbath and all holy days except Passover to Shavuot. Uh, there we followed the Eastern Orthodox calendar for the placement of Holy Week to Pentecost. This is because the Western calendar intentionally ignores the Jewish calendar for Passover. And the results are that Holy Week, as we've said, uh, in a year like this year, happens a, a, a month earlier. The Eastern Church locks Holy Week to always follow the Passover so that the resurrection is after Pesach. We have also always sequenced the Holy Week following the probable days of the events, rather than following the Jewish calendar or the Christian calendar, which sets the holy days in a three-day sequence. So what Passover usually does is, they do Passover, the next day is unleavened bread, the next day is first fruits, three days in a row, no matter what day they happen to fall on. The church, historically, has bunched the days up so that the beginning of Friday, which would be Thursday night, is what we call Monday Thursday, Good Friday the next day, Holy Saturday the next day, first fruits at the at sundown on Saturday night, and resurrection on Sunday. So that is the tradition in Judaism and Christianity. What we have done historically is Palm Sunday, take a look at all of the week, and then Tuesday night do the seders because uh, it looks very much as if the crucifixion actually took place on a Wednesday, with our darkness service then being Wednesday night, three days and three nights leading to Saturday night when we celebrate the resurrection, and then uh, do the empty tomb on the following Sunday morning. <clears throat> that worked very well for us for a very long time, and then a number of children began to show up with great frequency and regularity. And the result was that we moved away from congregational Seder to home Seders. Now, home Seders are the biblical standard uh, congregational ones are religious tradition. I like both, but that's what we were what we were doing. In recent times, we have found that our crucifixion service is also difficult to come down on Wednesday, and we get some 
participation, but not a large participation on the uh, Saturday night uh, service for the resurrection. Uh, so, what has happened is that we have begun to uh, observe many of these things in our homes. And as a congregation then, during the counting of the Omer and the Holy Days, we moved the service from Sunday to Saturday for Shabbat, counting off the seven Sabbaths from first fruits to Pentecost. Though we don't usually do the seventh Sabbath, we then move to the day after, which is Pentecost, which is always on a Sunday. So resurrection, always on a Saturday night or a Sunday. Uh, Pentecost, always on a Sunday, which is uh, the Christian tradition and the Essene tradition and the uh, uh, Sadducean tradition, but not the Pharisaic tradition in that context. So, this has been somewhat of a problem for attendance, and with differences of preferences, uh, we have struggled with this. Uh, And you know we've also had some problems with traffic related to Sabbath services. Uh, This is going to get more difficult for our families and our children because of a number of things, some personal reasons, some congregational reasons. So, I think we need to have a discussion, first of all, about the Holy Days as we're about to enter them, so that we adjust where we need to adjust and maintain as much as we can what we believe to be the biblical framework. So, let me begin with Lent. And I'm going to talk about each of these real briefly, then we're going to break and we'll have our our conversation without recording. Um, Lent. We have not observed the Western Lent this year because of the timing of Resurrection Sunday. So we are planning to observe Lent and the, the way of the, the season of the cross as we normally do, uh, beginning with what's called the Great Lent of the Eastern Church. That will begin on Clean Monday the 14th. We will do a service that acknowledges that on the 13th uh, prior to that because it's unlikely that people will be coming back down here on, on Monday. Um, we will make some adjustment for that. Uh, obviously, you're not going to want to put ashes on your forehead and go out into public because it's not Ash Wednesday or Clean Monday and people won't know what you're doing. So we'll, we'll limit what we're doing to here in the service in that, in that context. And again, that's an option uh, for you. We will then begin uh, Lent... Uh, using the Eastern tradition up through Holy Week. Now, using the Eastern calendar for the time of Holy Week, we then adjust our week from Palm Sunday to place the Last Supper on Tuesday evenings, the Crucifixion on Wednesday evening, First Fruits on Saturday evening, and Resurrection on Sunday. This becomes much more problematic for us because of the time of year and because of school issues. Um, In addition to that, I am uh, going to be at a conference uh, on the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of that week that that I am locked into. Uh, So, we have a couple of options. One is we can attempt to to do the home seders on the Tuesday night uh, and uh, the darkness service on Wednesday night 
and then a first fruit service on Saturday night uh, and a resurrection Sunday service, just like we've done uh, leading up to May 1st. The other option that might be a benefit for us, remember that the purpose of the Passover and the purpose of the Last Supper is predominantly to reinforce its meaning for us and to instruct the children. And therefore, if the children can't be there, that becomes somewhat problematic. So one thing we could do that we will talk about would be, you know, on Palm Sunday, we do kind of a Stations of the Cross. And since that happens to be Passover on the Jewish calendar as well, what we could do is begin our service, our Palm Sunday service, break at lunchtime, at lunchtime do a Seder with all the children and families here, so that the Seder is done, close out the Seder with an acknowledgement of the crucifixion and the resurrection, and then wait till the following weekend and do our traditional uh, uh, empty tomb uh, resurrection. That means what we would do is we would push it all onto Palm Sunday, which is Passover, and that way all of the families could be here and hopefully we could uh, could make that make that work. So that's one option. The other option is to do it the way we've we've been doing it. Then the counting of the Sabbaths. We've generally observed congregational Sabbaths from Resurrection to Pentecost, uh, and we have then also moved to Shabbat for the month of Elul through the High Holy Days. Now, in looking at this. The High Holy Days and the month of Elul have been abysmal in terms of attendance. The spring ones have been a little more consistently there. So uh, at this point, we don't need to talk about the fall. We need to talk about the maintaining the Shabbat on the service time congregationally or moving, keeping Sunday to stay consistent and and emphasize the Shabbats in our homes during that that seven Sabbath period. Uh, again, talking a little bit about some of the home stuff that uh, that we are doing. So, we will ultimately need to think about the High Holy Days, but we don't have to do that today. Uh, but we do need to, to find a general pattern for the congregation. Nothing we do in the congregation dictates what you do in your home. Uh, It may inform what you do in your home, but it doesn't dictate what you do in your home in that context. So, uh, I'm going to uh, close in a prayer, and then we'll open up our Q&A and discussions in that context.